Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? How are you doing? At home, how are you doing? Hope you're doing good. I heard you all the way over here. Today is a good Sunday because we're wrapping up our It's Simple series. We've been talking about something that we're going to continue to talk about beyond this week, and that is our mission statement. As a church, we have a mission to love God, to love people, and make disciples. That is it. It's simple. It's three things. And so this week, I want to follow up what Rob talked to us last week about and touch on make disciples. Now, what did we learn last week? I learned that everything that we post on social media is fair game for a sermon illustration, right, JD? And we also learned that the enemy is really active, actually prowling around looking for someone to devour. The last thing he wants is for the gospel of Jesus Christ to to be shared among the nations, to be stopped in some way, somehow. But you know what? Matthew 16, 18, I believe it is when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. One of my favorite things that Rob said over and over is that the enemy is doomed because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He's got no hope, Jesus wins. And the enemy is also wanting us here. You may think, yes, amen to the gospel thriving in Uganda and in uh, Northern Africa and in Cuba and in Burma right now, who's going through a lot of civil unrest. Yes to those things, but we're good here. I mean, we're sitting in a beautiful church, beautiful day outside. We're tuning in online. You know what the enemy wants us to do? The enemy wants us to stay comfortable in the seats that we're in and keep God just in this house and out of the rest of our lives. And that's what this message is all about. This message is about not only talking about how God calls us to make disciples, but how to be a disciple. Because you may be looking at the mission statement and say, love God? Okay, that's simple, yes. Love God with all that I am. Love people, got it. Love my neighbor as myself. Those things are simple. And you look at this third one, you're like, make disciples, I'm out. That doesn't sound simple. That's because we all have different backgrounds of what discipleship has looked like. Maybe with that word disciple, you may think disciple is like over here on top of this mountain, only for the intellectual, intellectually astute or spiritually fervent, not for common people like you and me. Well, I grew up Catholic. I grew up going to church and thinking, knowing, because I knew it, that I was far away from, you know, God. It was what I felt when I walked into church. Everything was so lofty and high and there was so much silence. You know, you got to do the right thing and I'm not making fun. I'm just saying I felt that way. I felt that way growing up, going to Catholic church. And then I went to a youth group called The Rock. That's a good name, The Rock. And my friends and I would would come together and we learned some things about God. And I understood, okay, it's not just about doing the right things. And then my parents moved us from Miami to Houston. So that's where I went to high school in Houston, Texas. And we went to a Christian school. So it was the first time that I realized that discipleship differed between Protestants and and Catholics. And I felt really ostracized. I just did. No one's fault. I just did because the way that I grew up was so different than this way. And so I just felt like discipleship, forget about it. You know what I also felt? I felt like a project. 
I felt like in this school that I, because I didn't believe in the same things in the same ways, that I needed something to change. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of things still need to change. But I felt like a project. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe in, in the context of discipleship, you have to, have to change or be a certain way. Here's the beauty of what we're talking about this morning. Discipleship is simple. Being a disciple means loving God and loving people. And making disciples means teaching others to love God and love people the way that God loves them. It's simple. We make it complicated. Now, I felt that way, but I'll tell you the rest of the story later. So what I wanna do today is talk about being disciples and making disciples in the difference, uh, or, or how do we go from being to making. One thing about discipleship, discipleship just means following Jesus. That's it. When you are a disciple of Jesus, you're a student. You, you, you are learning something from a teacher. And discipleship often goes wrong when we focus on information, when we talk, when we think about just consuming information in our head, like I gotta know all the right things so that I do certain things so I don't mess up. And the only issue with that is that we miss that discipleship really is on this side. And it's about transformation. It's not just about consuming information, but it's about that information transforming our hearts. So it's these things that we know making the 14-inch journey to our hearts where transformation occurs, and then we produce things. We produce a life filled with good deeds that are a response to what Jesus has done for us. That's discipleship. So it's not only knowing, it's also living. It's being transformed. There's four postures that I was thinking about this week that I believe makes us, well, disciples. These are four postures that are in here. They're not necessarily things that we do because we can go through our lives as Christians in church without ever truly following Jesus. What do I mean? I mean this. If you ever gone to a class and learned all the things in that class, taking the test and then finished that class and then forgetting every, every single little thing that you learned? Me too, about every class, especially every math class. So being a disciple is, yes, learning, but it's what does that do that changes the way that you live? It's about our heart posture. You can be a student and not learn, but it is when we learn that we truly become a disciple. So how do we do that? How do, how do we become disciples that have that heart part? So, well, these four things, and go with me here. I'm gonna run through these, and then we're gonna look at the Great Commission and how God calls us to make disciples. The first heart posture is honest. We have to be honest, and we have to be honest with what's in here. We have to be honest about how we're feeling. When we follow Jesus, there's no safer place to not be okay. Let me repeat that. When we follow Jesus, there's no safer place to not be okay. Sometimes we think that being a disciple means just pretending like everything's all right because you're a Christian. And whenever you're a Christian, you have to have it all together, right? Right? Sometimes we, see, we, we feel that way. But that honesty is being true to how we feel. It's not staying there. Don't, don't hear me wrong. 
but it's really allowing the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and say, how am I really? How am I doing? And it's only then when we can see healing occur in here because the truth is, is that we're all hurt people. We are all people that, that have, have been shaped by our experiences. We respond to church. We respond to others because of the way that we've been treated. And it's okay to not be okay. Peter modeled this the best. Peter would just speak his heart out when he was around Jesus. He was the disciple that was the most honest. That's why he got himself into so much trouble. We have to be honest. The second is we have to be humble. When we are honest with how we're doing and we're humble, then, then, then we're willing to change. We're willing to receive that healing touch from the Lord. The opposite of that is, is being proud. And that's what the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were these religious elites full of all of this information that hung out with Jesus and tried to make sure that they tricked him into getting something wrong or, or ultimately they were trying to kill him because they thought that he was heretical. The son of God, the one who came to save them from their pride, they were trying to kill because they were pride, proudful, pride in their heart. And so we need to be humble and be like Mary who submitted herself at the feet of Jesus and just wept and just loved and worshiped the Messiah. We need to be humble and be willing to change. When someone brings correction, know that that may be because that person wants the best for us, not because they want to push us down. Humility also means submitting to one another in a discipleship relationship with a teacher-student. It means submission. The third one is hardworking. Uh-oh, work, wait, this doesn't mean work in order to earn God's love or work in order to please God. No, it means hard work because God loves and lavished his grace on us. We don't stay the same in here. We change and that change is what takes hard work. Let, let me explain. When we're surrounded by people that want us to look like the world, it takes hard work to say, nope, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna go this way, or I'm gonna say this instead. I'm gonna look different. I'm gonna be set apart. That takes hard work. And I think of Matthew, who was a tax collector. I mean, he was seen from, from his fellow Israelites, he was seen as an outcast, but he became part of the crew because he truly denied himself, he took up his cross, and he chose to follow Jesus. And you know, sometimes we think that it's just not worth it to follow Jesus. It's, much, it's easier, not only easier, but it's more satisfying when we just do what the world does and act like those people are acting. But when we work hard as we respond to the gospel, we live out John 10, 10, which says that the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life abundantly, life to the full. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is the most satisfying, fulfilling journey that we can enter into as human beings on this planet. I mean, absolutely satisfying. You know, going back to my... Uh, my experiences in the school, one of the things that I thought was, I wasn't gonna share this, but it just came to my mind. So one of the things that I thought was, I looked at the end product 
You know, I looked at these people that were trying to work on me and see me as a project. Again, I'm not saying that they were, but that's just how I felt. So, and I was like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that, Christian. I feel like that's what happens when we don't truly follow Jesus is we become those Christians that are more about information than transformation. But when we find, when we see a follower of Jesus that is not only on fire, but imperfect. Not only imperfect, but willing to change. That creates a picture of, of a follower of Jesus that is exciting. And when people see that, there is a, it's, it's like a bright light. And you're like, I want to be like that. They don't have a perfect life, but they sure know how to choose joy in the midst of trial and suffering. Let's be people that are like that, hard working. The fourth one is honoring, and Paul was honoring. Paul not only honored those who came before him, but Paul honored those that came after him. Paul wasn't a part of the original 12. Paul came after. He gave his life to Jesus afterwards and became a giant of the faith, wrote most of the New Testament, and he honored the apostles. He honored their work. He honored their position, and then he also honored his disciples, his mentees, Timothy, in Titus. And he even said this in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It'll be here on your screen. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust a faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul is telling to Timothy, make disciples. What you learned from me, pass on to uh, present, uh, pass on to faithful men who will then be able to teach others also. He's talking about three generations of discipleship. And he did so in an honoring way. Transformation versus information. We're all disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. There's no distinction here between, well, I gave my life to Christ, but now, no, 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 no. When you give your life to Christ, you are a disciple. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor in Nazi Germany, wrote these words. He said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. They're not mutually exclusive. Again, I think what the enemy is trying to do as he's trying to pacify our discipleship. He's trying to quiet us down. He's trying us to get into church and out of church and silence our production and our transformation as true disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm transitioning now into making disciples because Jesus, we're about to read, was a genius in his simplicity of his commission to these disciples, which we'll learn a little bit more about here in a second to change the world. Let's read Matthew 28. I'm gonna start in verse 16 because it gives us the context for the Great Commission that starts in 18. So in verse 16, we read, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now there's only 11 because Judas betrayed Jesus. He's no longer with them. And, and they went to Galilee, Galilee because Jesus was died on the cross, he was buried. And then two women, Mary and Mary, showed up at the tomb. And this is earlier in Matthew 28. And they found no one there. And then an angel appeared to them. And an angel told them, go to Galilee. And then on their way to Galilee, which that's crazy. I mean, imagine seeing an angel and this angel saying, hey, the guy that you're here to weep is no longer, weep for is no longer here. 
And then on their way, Jesus appears in the flesh to these two women and says, go tell my brothers that I'm gonna meet you in Galilee. So what do we learn from this first verse? We learn that the men obeyed the women. They listened. It's a good primer for our married people uh, uh, series coming up next week. They listened to the women and they went. They were wise. In verse 17, when they saw him, when they saw Jesus for the first time in his resurrected body, they worshiped him but some doubted. Think about this. 11 disciples. They've been walking with Jesus for three years. Jesus was a different type of rabbi. He was a different type of teacher than the Jewish rabbis. At the time, when you were a Jewish rabbi of the Pharisees or Sadducees, you actually examined your potential disciples and they had to pass exams and tests in order to become disciples. You see where I'm going? And these 11 were not picked by a Sadducee or Pharisee rabbi. They were the leftovers. They were the rejected ones. That's why they became fishermen. That's why they became tax collectors. They did other things as Jews. What did Jesus do? He didn't say, here's this test, depending on how you do, I'll give you the privilege of walking with the Son of the Lord Most High, with the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Mm -mm. Jesus showed up in their workplace and said, you, come follow me. I choose you to come be my disciple. And he says that to every single one of us. He says, I choose you to come and follow me. Just gives me goosebumps thinking about it. And yet, at the end, some doubted. A lot of different interpretations as to what this all means. Here's what I know it means. This is why missions exist. This is why we go. John Piper said it best. He said that missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because people worship other things, because we are so easily distracted by the things of this world, by success and by money and by a good family and all these other good things that we forget to do the very thing that we were created to do, and that is worship our creator. And so missions, our commission to go is to say, look at this one man who came and died and raised and was raised again. And still yet, I have questions and I don't know yet, but he's choosing me to go. And so why don't you join me in my imperfect journey as I follow Jesus? That's what it looks like to talk to others about who he is. Some doubt it. I hope that's encouraging to you. I don't know where you are, I don't know what your Christian experience has been or, or even what your, yeah, past, church past. But I hope, and this is not in my notes, but I, but I hope that you hear this as well. We in the church are imperfect. Well, there's only one perfect one. And so sometimes we get held up by other people's stuff. Other people hurt us. And we let that get in the way of our pursuit of Jesus. And so as a pastor, I just wanna say, I'm, I'm sorry if that's you. I'm sorry if there's things that you're carrying that, that have wounded your path 
to, to follow Jesus because of other people's wounds and hurts. We're all in this together. We're all a part of the family that needs to be healed and redeemed and restored and rescued from our sin. So let's do that together as we do that. Let's move on. He says in verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We have to stop there. Jesus is saying all authority on heaven. We know that. We know that Jesus has all authority on heaven. He was sent by the Father to earth, but all authority on heaven and on earth, this is new. Jesus, for the first time, is saying all authority on earth. What? Why? Because he came, he lived, he died, and he conquered death. And so now he has all the authority on heaven and on earth. And so if I'm one of the disciples, he's got my attention. What about you? What is he about to say? He's saying, okay, I've established credibility here, y'all. All authority has been given to me, verse 19, therefore. So because of who God is, because of his love for us, because of his uh, uh, conquering victory over death, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. It's simple. Three things. Go, baptize, and teach. Simple, not easy. Go, Bill Hole, a great pastor, wrote this comprehensive book on discipleship. He says that go is our deployment. As a people of God, as his army here on earth, we're called to be deployed into our unreached workplaces and family members and neighborhoods. We're called to go and be deployed in the name of Jesus to go to them. Just like Jesus went into these workplaces of Matthew and Peter and James, called them out and said, come, follow me. We are called to go. Baptize. That's the starting line of our faith. Baptism isn't some, something that we have to earn and get to. Baptism is the beginning when we have said yes to Jesus Christ. We now have welcomed his Holy Spirit to indwell in our bodies and scripture teaches us to then pursue that with an outward symbol of what, of what is happening inwardly. It's an outward symbol of an inward reality. We're baptized. When we are, go underwater, that is symbolizing the death of our old self. We're being washed by the Holy Spirit. And then we come back raised again to a new identity as sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. Baptizing is the deliverance. It's when we are delivered. And some of us in here, that's our next step. I know it. I can feel it. And you can feel it too because you're saying, I don't want to. And I'm saying, do it. Why? Because God put this in the scriptures for a reason. When we publicly declare that Jesus is our Lord, it makes everything afterwards easier because we're saying, ah, that my world may be going this way, but I'm going this way. I'm following Jesus. I am now a son. I am now a daughter of the Lord 
most high. And so I encourage you not because I'm asking you to, but because he's asking you to consider being water baptized. We do it just like we do communion because he said so, which is the third thing we teach. We teach everything that he has to obey. And so right now I'm, I'm doing one uh, part of teaching and we, do, we see teaching as a church in three ways. This is the first one on Sunday morning gatherings. We come, I do this, I speak, and you hopefully listen sometimes to some things. And, and, but there's a lot of distance here. And actually there's only one person here and one person there. So you may be thinking if that's discipleship, then I'm glad because I have an out. I don't need to disciple if this is discipleship. Well, Jesus spoke to the multitudes, many times in parables. Then he also spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. Large people gathered and he taught them and he shared them how to be truly human. By the way, next week, that's where we're gonna start. That's our new series. We're gonna look at every single word in Matthew 5, Matthew 7. You can read and, and come to church prepared if you want to next week. Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. We're gonna be reading the words of Jesus and seeing how he is teaching us how to live. And so we read, um, or I'm sorry, we listen when we're here, but then we have these things called community groups. And that's how Jesus lived as well. Jesus discipled, Jesus taught as he lived with his disciples. I can't wait to get to heaven and learn about all the stories of what happened when Jesus and his followers went from point A to point B. I bet it was a lot of fun hanging out with Jesus. And I, I know because he was so full of life and his disciples were not the most well-behaved crowd um, that, that, that you could gather. And so I'm sure there's some really good stories, but we need to really take this one to heart and do life with one another. It's hard to do that here, much easier to do that in community groups. So if you don't have a community group, we've made it easy this morning. You can, when you walk out, the community group flyers are over there. If you're online, they're on the CCC guide. Bug somebody, say, hey, tell me about your community group. And you can even show up to a community group. No pressure, jump around until you find one that is good for you. For some of us in community groups, time's coming. where We know God's calling us out of the flock into shepherds and start a community group ourselves as we do life with one another. And then this third way of teaching, of discipling is through a thing called strands. It's out of Ecclesiastes 4 where, where it's written that a, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So these are groups of three, four people that come together and really hold each other accountable, really go in depth into the things of, of our, you know, our stuff, life, and we grow as we do that. We grow as we share. And Jesus did this with John, with Peter, and with James. He was their mentor. They were his mentees. And so I encourage you, if you're in a community group, maybe it's time for you to get in a strand. And it really does take this holistic picture of discipleship. Again, it's not just one way. We're all called to discipleship. We're here on Sunday morning. We get to go to community groups and strands. So you may be thinking, okay, I'm in strands. What are we gonna do? Well, we put some resources together that I wanna quickly plug. I'm really excited about these because there's a lot of good stuff. This first one is an goodie, but an oldie, or an oldie, but a goodie. It's uh, the 101 Discipleship Book, the Blue Book. I've done it for, I don't know, two decades or so. It's an amazing tool. 
We have these books at the church office. And if you want to go through one-on-one discipleship book, just call the office. We'll get you a book and you can do one-on-one discipleship. Another uh, great resource is this Fundamental Christian Truths. And Craig Castor um, uh, wrote it. He's uh, family members with the Hambricks calling you guys out. I met him. He moved into the area. He showed me this amazing resource. I said, man, we got we to gotta plug it. So you can check that out on the guide. Then there's OIA, good old Bible reading. This is a great way to study scripture, observation, seeing what does this passage say, interpretation, what does it mean, and application, how does it apply to me? And then there's a really cool app called the Waha app. And you may be thinking, what on earth is the Waha app? Well, it's cool because of this reason. This is the app that a lot of our ministry partners use in countries where they're being persecuted. So you can actually hide this app. And and it teaches us not only the the truths of scripture, but it also reminds us of what our brothers and sisters are going through all over the world. We're blessed here to be able to worship openly. But it's encouraging when we remember our brothers and sisters that have truly counted the cost and are willing to lay down their lives for discipleship, for following Jesus. So why do this? Well, because it's the most important thing that we can be doing as people. I'll never forget a few years back, we had Focus Weekend. It was around this time. And if you're wondering, are we gonna have Focus Weekend? Oh, you know it. We're just pushing it to March. Well, we had Focus Weekend. It was a Friday. Uh, it was actually a Thursday night before all of these details, logistics, a lot of fun. I mean, glow sticks, remember uh, the videos and all that good stuff. A lot of things to get done. And on Thursday night, a student texted me and said, hey, can we get together tomorrow morning? And I stopped and, you know, this is what I thought. I didn't say this, but I'm saying this to you now. I said, don't you realize it's Focus tomorrow and I have all these things to do? Like it's one of the busiest days of my year. I didn't say that, but I thought that. And I said, you got it, man. See you at Mima's at 7.30. Showed up to Mima's. We had some, one of the best conversations that we have ever had. And something clicked as I left convicted that morning. Focus, the big show, the big gathering of, of young believers and not yet believers, we put that on so that we can get people connected into community groups. And we do community groups so we can have these intentional, powerful, life-giving conversations across the Mimas table, across the cafe table. It doesn't matter where. But that's what it's all about. That's discipleship, is allowing God to use other people to pour into ours. Okay, so... Great Commission, chapter 18, I'm about to close. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Verse 20, here we go. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I wanna talk about this last verse for a little bit because there's some things in here that are absolute gold. First, this word, surely. In the ESV and NASB translations, it's the word behold. It's actually the Greek word idu. And what it means is pay attention. This is important. And behold, can you see it? Can you imagine Jesus and saying, hey, I just gave you this, but and behold, listen to me. Don't miss this last part. I am with you. 
always to the very end of the age. Jesus is repeating Matthew's words at the beginning of the gospel of Matthew when he writes that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. The beautiful end to this amazing gospel. The beginning, God is with you. At the end, God is with you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so you may be here and maybe saying, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to strand it up. I'm ready to start a community group and I'm ready to invite all of my friends and family to Sunday morning gatherings. Let's go. And everybody else is like, I still not convinced I can do this. This is tough. This making disciple thing, it's just not simple and it's not for me. Flipping the page to Acts 1. This is where I wanna close this morning. In Acts 1, verse 6, the disciples had come together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? The disciples are asking Jesus, the resurrected Christ, same scene, different perspective. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? What are they saying here? Are they saying, are we in heaven? Are we gonna now enjoy your presence forever? Are we done? Did we do it? And Jesus says, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He's saying it's not about information, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When the disciples thought, it's over. We get to enjoy forever with Jesus. Jesus said, nope, I'm gonna go up. I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit down to empower you to go out and go and make disciples of all nations. When I left high school, I had two schools that I wanted to go to, U of H and Texas State. Didn't get good grades. As I told you earlier, I said I didn't really pay attention in math class and so forth. And so I um, knew I was gonna get it to A&M, UT. So I applied for U of H, took too long. I applied to Texas State, got in. So I did not complete my U of H application. Thank goodness, I came to the great university on the Hill. And it was two weeks before school started. My dad said, hey, you need to go and try out for a sport. Otherwise, you're gonna do the college thing, you know? and gain all this weight. And so you need to stay in shape. Wisest advice my dad's ever given me. I am trying out for this club soccer team. Don't be confused, not NCAA, nope, just club. But a lot of good players, a lot, a lot of players better than I was. I realized quickly, I don't belong on this uh, uh, caliber of a team. I need to try really hard, but I probably won't make it was what, was what my mindset was. But you know, I was chosen and I made that team. But it was not that team that changed my life. It was a person who chose me out of that crew and said, hey, you wanna have coffee? Pluck me out randomly because I was wearing a shirt. See, he had gone to a Christian high school as well and I was wearing my Christian high school T-shirt. He called all my shots. He read my plan for college and he said, I'm offering you a better way. You can come to community group. You can read the Bible and you can see 
what following Jesus is all about. And then maybe he'll change your life. And that's exactly what happened. I joined a community group. I opened up this thing. I took it seriously. And I started my imperfect walk towards Jesus because someone, someone came into my world and said, hey, you, come follow me. There are people in your lives right now, I know it, that are waiting for you and for me to say, hey, let's be intentional about this Jesus thing. Have you ever thought about what it may mean to follow Jesus as we read his word, as we share our stories with one another? And it's when we do that, that this world will be changed forever. Ben Whitley, you guys can come back up. If I were Jesus, I would have chosen the Hulk and Iron Man and the rest of the Avenger crew to come change the world. Instead, he used 11 guys that doubted him in his resurrected body. And he said, you unqualified, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. But it wasn't them, it was his Holy Spirit in them that empowered them to go. And so, Cypress Creek Church, are you willing to go? Are you willing to go? Let's close by standing in prayer. Some of us are ready to go indeed. And then there's others that I know we just need to be a disciple. And what that means is maybe for you this morning, it's saying yes to Jesus Christ for the very first time and saying, I'm in. I am in to receive this free gift of grace. And I'm ready to change my life. I'm ready to go Jesus's way rather than my own. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's baptism. It's declaring, publicly declaring outwardly what God is doing inwardly. 